Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Chris. And I'm Richie. And we're here to talk to each other about what it's like to be white and what it's like to be black in America. Our goal is to have a candid conversation about race and how it impacts and intersects our daily life, as well as our country. The episodes offered here are based around real, candid conversations that Chris and I have that are available if you support the show. From those conversations, we take a deep dive into topics that we discover to better empathize and understand ourselves and our American culture. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Allies Imperfect. Well, let's start the show. All right, everybody, welcome to Imperfect Allies. This is Richie. I'm Chris. And we are here to talk about what it's like being white, what it's like being black in America. And man, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, we got a couple of things. We got a, I want to play a clip from a previous show. We're going to circle back to a couple of things, actually. Um, once from once from uh, one of our candid conversations that you can get to if you support us on Patreon, and another one comes from uh, a podcast that we released originally. We were thinking it was going to be candid, but we went ahead to release it as a as a podcast. It's uh, last week's on comedy. We wanted to circle back to some of the things that that we talked about in there. Um, so uh, Chris, uh, how are you doing this week? What's going on, man? Um, this week's been a nice, interesting week. Just you know, having conversations with many different people, different walks of life. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the conversation breaks down and uh, you try and use every vulnerable and empathetic skill you have and you, you still kind of get uh, off in the deep end. So I had a few of those this week, but but always something good, just learning about each other and being imperfect allies. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And, and that kind of brings me to this clip because... Um, you know, I was noticing some things that you were talking about this week on social media, uh, some names that you were getting called and I was getting called names a couple weeks ago and stuff like that when we were speaking one language to another group, right? So yeah, whether it's white language to black folks or black language to white folks or collectivism to individuals or science to, I don't know, yeah, <laughs> just purely religious or something, something like that, you know? And, um, and, uh, I just thought, you know, as this you know, you're really exploring individualism and I'm really exploring collectivism. And when we speak to our different groups, um, how, how that intersects so much. Yeah. And, um, that, that leads me to kind of to this first clip here. I want to, I want to, I want to play this. And, um, I could totally see that Richie, if, if you can't be your authentic self every day, man, because it's quote unquote offensive, like, ah, man, like we gotta, we gotta allow you to be you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling that on a couple of levels. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> let me think on this for, for oh, yeah. real. And, and we'll talk more about it. Cause this is, this is, yeah. It's heavy. It's new. Heavy, it's real. Heavy. Well, it's not even, he- you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I mean, it's just that real, real. Yeah, <laughs> just that's what it is. Yeah, you're you're speaking to a place in me, uh, from a place in you that is just so like open and vulnerable and 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 full of truth that I, it's just not an everyday conversation. And so I gotta just I gotta sit with it and let me think on it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all I got. 
Yeah. So what do you think about that clip? What's, what comes to your mind? Well, man, I love how um, those deep conversations can hit you and you got to step back because those conversations don't happen every day. So that was awesome. Um, that's why I love uh, this podcast so much is because we both walk away learning so much from each other and hopefully our listeners are doing the same thing. But I, I instantly thought, man, how hard is it to be your genuine self if it comes off inauthentic to the rest of the world if they automatically prejudge you and they say your authentic self isn't you just based on how you look like that is so painful yeah for sure man and 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 even as you grow and i when i heard it i thought of you know as you grow into something else or maybe your mind's changing or maybe you're exploring new ideas and how oh wow i'm and you really connect with it and something inside you starts to grow and mature and you know blossom and then but that doesn't fit your role or whatever that is, or doesn't fit the old, old way of thinking or, or other people's other way of thinking how you can't be that authentic self. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so how similar those, uh, I just, how similar that it feels like it feels, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's other people trying to put you into a prescribed box so that they can better understand you. But, if they then judge you when you step outside that box, that is so uh, damning. Like it just rips you apart. And I, I'm experiencing that not even intentionally. Like I, I don't know how much of me has actually changed, but the way I communicate has changed just as I'm trying to learn individualism. And that subtle communication shift is making people call me out of my name or call me out of my box, or they don't know how to place me. Um, I've been called, uh, or no, I've been told that I am sea lioning. Sea lioning? Yes, sea lion. Mm, that's yeah. new to me. That's, that's new to me. What's that? I had never heard this before. Um, and and so this is a new adjective for a person that is in your group trolling by adding disinformation and confusion. So it's a form of harassment, which consists of pursuing people with persistent requests of evidence, asking for evidence and repeated questioning, basically the Socratic method. If you hit someone with the Socratic method, you are sea lioning. Mm, okay. <laughs> but sea lions are cute. I mean, <laughs> what the, they just roll around. I mean, I know they're noisy and like uh, loud, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, that's a weird. That's a weird denigrating character statement it's like, strange yes it reminds me of snowflake like snowflakes are awesome <laughs> like, <laughs> right christmas time winter joy yeah, yeah man yeah so you can bake snowmen out of them you can eat them i mean you know uh that's interesting man uh yeah. well i'm sorry i'm sorry that's uh asking for wow well it's just wow. what what's more frustrating because it doesn't bother me um, it's actually very strange to me, but I understand it. It's the process of receiving something that you can't identify. And as human beings, we need to label something so that our brains can understand it. That's just how life works. Everything has to have a name so that I can therefore um, break it down and understand it. And it does oversimplify at times, but it's a necessary processing step. And so when you have a black person speaking a white language like individualism, it often comes off um, inauthentic and they have to label it. And so 
the Socratic method is one way of being empathetic is saying, so are you like when we try and understand somebody's point of view, you ask, hey, so is this what you're trying to say? Because this is how I'm interpreting it. Or what would you say? it? Oh, that is a sea lining question. <laughs> Here you are trying to change the subject or switch directions or like with this empathy game is just so strange to people. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it feels like it's very. Yeah. I mean, it's paradigm shifting a little bit because people people don't trust it. And yeah, I've, I've noticed that, too. Like, what are you what are you trying to get at? And, you know, and. I mean, I think I think for me, it has been this exercise in empathy over the last couple of months has been trying to get to the humanity of people and understand them, you know, and yeah, um, and and to me, I feel better. I just I mean, so selfishly, I feel better about myself or feel better just in general versus trying to fight somebody with facts, you know, Um, you know, I, I hated debate in high school. I hated Lincoln Douglas debate or whatever, you know, all the different kinds of, you know which is, it's good, it's good to practice because you need to, I mean, that, and I wish we would debate like we did, people debated in high school and in college because you had to learn the other side's arguments. Correct. <laughs> you had, it was a requirement to be able to speak from both um, positions. Yeah. And switch back and forth throughout the day. I mean, you go one debate, be one side, next debate, the other, and just, you know, and um, I think, I think we're missing that, you know, so it's not even really debate. It's just like fighting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love how you said it's you 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 love getting to the humanity of it because so many of us label our opponent with either immoral or hateful or racist or a snowflake whatever it is, you know, we label that so so then we can ignore the humanity in it. But a lot of times our opponent has logic that we need to understand to get to the root cause of the disagreement. And if you don't ever respect their logical reasoning, you will always be fighting fire with fire. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And even, you know, I've had people, um, even when I see some uh, either logical fallacy in their arguments or, or just breakdown in their logic, like getting to the root of what they under, of like what's important to them. So when Mm -hmm. you, when you, um, well, we'll say for, I'll, I'll see if I can pick a topic, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, when someone says, you know, um, uh, let's say, let's say, well, I don't want to get too, it's, it's hard. Cause I don't want to, Hey, break some right. eggs. Hey, break some eggs. Richie. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Well, no. So let's talk about a little bit about like when somebody says, um, Kamala Harris isn't from the U S uh-huh. she can't, you know, she's not, um, she's not a citizen. What is that? what 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 not necessarily what are you saying but what's behind that mm-hmm. um and and i hear from people that say that kamala harris is uh, not eligible because she's not from the u.s uh, i hear oftentimes a fear of losing uh, a u.s identity as mm. as it becomes as as the cultures within the united states uh becomes a metaculture or um where we where we begin to celebrate these different groups and there's not one homogenous culture, right? Those that are in the majority or, or maybe that those are part of that homogenous culture, um, feel like a fear of loss of identity. Yeah. That's real. And, and speaking from a place of fear, well, it's easier to say Kamala is not from, um, the U S than it is. I'm afraid that I'm losing 
my my cultural identity. Yeah, you're losing the America that you knew. So instead of trying to add this person into your America, you say they probably aren't American. That's what it is. It's not that my America is changing. It's that that person is infiltrating from the outside because they aren't American. Right. And and if if it is changing, where I don't have a, another fear, I don't have a place in it. Where is my place in it? I know my place now. I know where my... I know where my station is and I know where I fit and if it changes, where do I fit? So it's, I mean, these are really deep, like, um, existential questions. Existential, yeah, man. Uh, but then, but then they move through the body and through the brain and come out the vocal cords as hate or what someone would see as hate, you know, hateful speech or things like that. And so, cause it drove me crazy when I first heard that I was like, yeah. I mean, it, it within minutes, I mean, hours, uh, we got to see our birth certificate. And I was like, <laughs> you got, you know, and it it's just ridiculous. lit me up. It's crazy. Uh, at the same time, I don't agree with what those people are saying. And, I'll, and okay, we'll get a birth certificate and whatever, but it doesn't that. And this is, this is why I think, um, you know, in our conversations about, we, we had some data back on another show and, and why I think data fails oftentimes and why I think maybe experience sometimes fails. Um, because it's not speaking to the fear that's generating those, those ideas and questions. Yeah. Right. So me showing you that Kamala Harris was born in California or wherever she was born. I can't remember where she's born. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. I don't. Um, uh, that does not tell me anything about why I'm afraid of losing my culture and losing my place in my society, you know? Yeah. So, and and it, it really just kind of, uh, if you get the answer. Right. If someone finds the information and gives it to you, it's pacifying your true nature. Your um, true fear is being pacified because, oh, OK, it's re OK. I, they proved it when we really need to be getting to the root of why you asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it yeah, answers the question. Well, I, and I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it answers the question. And I'm still afraid, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, versus, um, which I think why these conversations are so important is that, you know, as we begin to share our lives together, because we're, we come from, uh, different you know, uh, cultures, uh, it, it shows us that, well, you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about what are the scariest looking people, you know, and what, <laughs> <laughs> And I could tell you with a hundred percent, you know, uh, the, the guy in the khaki shorts and the, or pink, pink shorts and the boat shoes, that guy is the least, least of your worries in any kind oh, of situation. Goodness. Right. And, and I'm sure you could tell, I mean, I don't really have a, well, maybe like, I, I, maybe like a dude with a backpack <laughs> ooh, yeah, and like, and like, uh, maybe baggy pants and some real clean shoes, but like just looking around. <laughs> Just I don't chilling. know. <laughs> chilling. Like, what is he doing know, there? He's what, just what are standing. You doing? Yeah. He's just standing there. Right. Yeah. So suspicious. <laughs> That's how I, if I see, you know, a Pelican brief or like just um, any kind of nautica. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Braided belt or something. I don't know. Oh, no. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Or if their if their wallet has a can opener like attached to the wallet, that's always a telltale sign. Okay, with the okay. handyman, I, I'm I'm nervous. Okay, <laughs> that <laughs> that is interesting, man. That's interesting.
Um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. No, you're good. For- I, I want to bring it back to the clip a little bit because what I really found fascinating from that conversation is we were kind of discussing how your upbringing and the um, information that you took from television as you were growing up during the 70s and 80s made you akin to uh, collectivist Black culture and um, your inability to kind of express that for fear of, you know, stepping on toes and being perceived as potentially a racist or appropriating. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, thanks, man. Thanks for bringing that up. Because, uh, uh, yeah, that that definitely was a part of it. And and um, I, I uh, you you brought up it brings me to this. You brought a, a comedian up, and I can't remember his name now, but it's a white dude, uh, and he has a really big black audience. Oh, um, Gary Owens. Gary Owens. Now I saw this guy and this is why it's so ingrained in me that you can't do that because I saw Gary Owens talking about, um, Oh, just whatever. One of his, one of his bits. And I was like, this guy's trying to act black and that, Mm. and like, that's offensive like that. Oh, he must, he must be offending a lot of black people and his white, his audience must be just a ton of white people thinking he's, he's trying to, trying to appropriate and make fun of black people. And to hear you, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to hear you say, "Oh no, that's I feel represented when Gary's on stage," <laughs> right? It's <laughs> like, what? What? Yeah, it totally, it, it totally blew my mind. And because, and that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. If I go up to uh, a black guy and say, "What's good?" You know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm not, I'm not um, supposed to. That's mm. just not acceptable behavior for me. Because for, I mean, for for lots of reasons, like from white people well, why are you acting, trying to act black? And from black people, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. You <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so what, so it just feels there's this tension there, but, but that's, that is my heart. What's good is my heart a lot of times. Cause I just want to hear, I want to hear the good things in your life. I want to, I'm interested in you. I want to, you know, uh, but I got to say it in a way that's acceptable. So how are you doing? Oh, it's very good <laughs> to see you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hunky dory. I'm glad you are. Yeah, great. Well, that's perfect. Uh, is, is that make is that making sense a little bit? Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. And you know, for those who don't know who Gary Owens is, uh, his big break came in 1997 on Black Entertainment Television, <laughs> also mm-hmm. known as BET's Comic View, and uh, he's been showcased on things like Shaquille O'Neal's All Star Comedy Jam, which is just the blackest of black comedy. <laughs> if you did not know, and so. Gary Owens is in the community. He's not fronting. It's not a, a game or a gimmick. He's not siphoning dollars out of the black community. Um, and he is in a interracial relationship. You know, if that is what someone needs to understand him more, I don't, I don't know if that's necessary at all, but Gary Owens is in the community and it's perfectly okay. And he's authentic. And we've talked about that before. The black community just requires authenticity. That's the first and foremost thing that is needed. And that's what black culture really um, leans on. So yeah, if that's your authentic self, Richie, we want to see that. But if you, if you haven't been able to do it, then it might not come off as authentic. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. It might actually come out very natural for you. I'm very curious. Well, yeah. So it reminds me. So um, one of the local comedians here uh, we were doing, he, he came and did uh, 
a spot for a showcase and uh, it was like a student showcase and then there were three like three pro well pros and semi-pros and uh, i booked him on other shows and stuff like that and he's funniest funniest guy and, and I, I and uh anyway he was he said good set and tried to go into like give me like a handshake i don't know dab whatever and i <laughs> totally screwed it up like we both hands got involved somehow like, was, <laughs> like and he was laughing at me and i was laughing at myself and and but um but i don't know man i mean i think that there there's there's something there and like it's so ingrained in me to not do that to not mm -hmm. act black because i'm not because quote unquote i'm not black yeah man yeah that it's um I find it, I find it really difficult because I, I, uh, and, and, and here's, and, and it comes out in different things. So when I was, uh, younger, like in sixth grade, um, this is, I mean, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hammers too legit to quit came out. I mean, you know, <laughs> things were happening. <laughs> what is that hammer? Who? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You were in diapers. Uh, so <laughs> no, no, but, um, but you know, I started to dance and that's kind of like, and dancing with um, admittedly not a ton of black, uh, folks where I went to school mm -hmm. at the same time, completely accepted because it was, it was authentic like it was good like i was dancing well and and it yeah. was good and, and they saw like oh okay all right so come you know so there was some acceptance there and i think maybe that's part of it is um i don't really want to worry about what white people think about me quote unquote acting black i want to worry about black people what he, like i don't know what is he trying uh, what i don't know what, what do you call it i mean you know yeah acting, it, acting, it, i don't know I mean, is it is it fraudulent or who is yeah. this guy? You know, mm -hmm. that lasts for five seconds because mm -hmm. once you prove yourself to be authentic, it's like, oh, oh, okay, uh, and then yeah. you're good. <laughs> you know, I think I, I think Gary owns the perfect example just because um, <laughs> in San Diego, one of his big breaks, like on the local scene, right? Not not television wise, was he won funniest black comedian in San Diego. Hmm a white dude winning funniest black comedian, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not about your your skin tone. Black is a culture. Black is a, a way of life at the same time. So if you're in that culture, if that's who you are, like we just need to know it's really you and then you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's really interesting right there because, um, man, that's really interesting because I think there's a lot of people that would listen to this that would be very uncomfortable with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just got ripped apart from uh, several um, people that identify as black. And um, the, the the real argument is um, in one of the groups I'm in, a gentleman asked, what does it mean to be black? Like, what? how do you classify yourself as black? Because he knew a lighter skinned gentleman that his whole life at the school, he, you know, seemed to identify as white. And then all of a sudden, as they got older, he was like black as hell, which I told you is kind of a process in the black community. And so this guy was just very light skinned and was adopted by a white family, but he always knew he wasn't part of that family. So um, his upbringing probably pushed him to really want to get into that black culture. But to this this observer, he didn't understand how he went from white to black. Like that was just 
a shocking thing to him. So he asked this question, how do you classify? Like, when do you become black? And uh, a lot of people were offended by that because Mm. it's like, you don't get to decide what blackness is. You know, someone can be black. And I, I find that also perplexing at the same time because then you get into that, well, what about Rachel Dolezal, who was leading the the NAACP chapter, and she turned out she was white her whole life, and she just claimed to be black, you know? Yeah. That's a, yep. that's a slippery slope right there if we're thinking of black as a race. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to say that I don't think I have much support in the black community on this idea, but black as a race is one aspect of it but black is also a culture and so there can be non-black people in black culture and identify as black in my opinion because they're representing the culture not the race and um that's just that's just how i see it i i I think it's more convoluted than black is just a race or skin tone um and it it gets even more so when you go down to what, I mean, is race even a thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, it's just so crazy. Well, that reminds me too. So, uh, uh, Gregory Hines, uh, was sitting with, uh, uh James Baldwin, uh, during a, a talk during the sixties. And, uh, he, um, he was like, you know, somebody asked a question, you know, did, did, uh, is there any place for white progressives in black culture? And, and the whole audience is like, no, like, (laughs) you know, but he addressed it at the end of the talk. He was like, look, you know, um, it's about, it's about, uh, he's like, I've seen some, the whitest people in the world think black. Yeah. You know, it's, it is a, it is a way of thinking. It is a way of life. It is a way of, it is a culture is, uh, and, and, um, and he's like, John Brown was one of the blackest white people I've ever heard about in my life. Preach. You know? and, and, and John Brown was a, a, I mean, he was a abolitionist of abolitionists. I mean, he was, he was like, just take it by force. I don't, we got to stop this. Tell me about so, it. So, so I think, I, I think that there is some, you know, and Gregory Hines, I think, I don't know why. I, I can't get a read on at least from like articles and videos and stuff. Is he controversial, controversial in the black community? Um, no, not, not, uh, overtly I'd say okay. not overtly. Cause he, he seems like a very, I mean, yeah, I mean, very positive, <laughs> positive for the community from what I've seen and from the people that he's that are around him that, that talk about him. Um, and so, uh, I was just curious, you know, that that's, Sorry, I'm getting a couple of thoughts all at once. My ADD is kicking in, <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, but the idea that 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 black is an attitude, it is a mindset, it is a, is a way of thinking, it is a way of seeing the world, um, and and it also is skin color, right? And there, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, oh, it's, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just saying, and and it doesn't, it's not necessarily excluded from people with lighter skin you're not you know they're they're i mean i don't know if i can never be black as hell because because of the way i look yeah it'd be (laughs) hard (laughs) it would be hard it would be hard uh but at the same time i mean i really really identify at least understand or empathize with maybe that's a better word i really deeply empathize with some of the stuff coming out of that yeah 
and and agree that it, that that high level of action is required and it is a, it is a crisis it, it's critical and it's it's needed now it's not something that can that can progress it's got to change right now 100%. and it's worth it's worth going it's worth the price of if you know uh, going to jail or or those kind of things where if it's going to change whatever's ha- whatever's whatever we got to do to make the change right now yeah um and, and so, so i the the detective radars of the black community and looking for authenticity comes out and we've talked about this a few times is white progressives have slippery slopes of you know um lack of deep understanding which leads to more um empty measures you know like getting rid of the Jemima syrup or painting the yeah. brown black lives matter right those things are great representations but they're kind of empty we need deeper stuff and i got into this argument recently with a white progressive who um, felt like arguing with me on what white supremacy is they felt like they shouldn't be doing that because they're white and i'm black and they a black voice should step in so they brought in a black friend of theirs to explain to me um what white supremacy was but what i was really questioning this white progressive on yeah i know it's crazy (laughs) um what what i was what i was presenting to this white progressive was uh the idea that you can choose to not be offended by something because this progressive posted something to the letter of um to the sound of if you hear all white people are racist and you get offended it's probably because you're racist and i was like oh wow so the 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 premise is if you can choose to not be offended. And so I thought that was really cool. That's a great thought. Like you actually don't have to be offended. You know, when someone says black people are criminals, I can just ignore that because like, yo, I'm not, and I'm black. So I guess what they're saying isn't true. Why would I even get offended? And the way I positioned it was asking her if she sees how sometimes a black person can get overly offended in situations. And, you know, thank you for sharing this. Cause that was something I hadn't really thought of before. And her response was so strange, Richie. She said that you can't compare the two. They are not comparable because white supremacy is that bad, which I understand that. Um, But then she went on to say an example is some conservatives say a woman over 5'7 is a man. And then the woman said, and I'm over 5'7, but I don't get offended. But I know my black brothers and sisters do, and that's offensive for them. So I'm going to stop those those people from speaking. And I wow. I was like, wait, why? Why you should be talking about how you don't get offended and how that's that's individualism, and we need to share that information. But we couldn't even get on the same page because instead she was focused on the fact that she's black and I'm white, and we shouldn't be talking. And it was just. It was this weird um, alternate dimension of white progressive helping me by not even communicating with me. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, man. So this is something uh, hopefully our conservative listeners listeners will enjoy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there is this progressive idea and it's 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 it goes back to our comedy episode. Uh, white people cannot represent black people on stage. That is a mm. progressive idea taught by white people that black people uh, by and large have not said anything about. In fact, from our conversation, 
um, a lot. Again, we're painting broad, broad strokes. This is not individual. We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about larger groups. You know, the majority of larger groups that had no problem with uh, Robert Downey Jr. In, in Tropic Thunder. In fact, celebrated and thought it was great. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, this these ideas that we have to be offended for other people, and 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 we're going to help the situation by doing things that we think will will remove the offense so mm-hmm. removing Aunt Jemima removing Uncle Ben's rice those are racist those are racist images in that they are they are old images of black servants um when from a time right when mm-hmm. when uh, uh, going back all, all the way to slavery so I could see how that can be offended uh removing those images does nothing to progress <laughs> moving those images does not do anything to bring equity to the to to folks that are being oppressed by systemic racism correct uh, and what progressives have done historically have given symbols um and um and then said you know is this enough right so we've painted 39 something like 39 cities with big giant black lives matter banners which is great fantastic so cool, so cool. And only one city has has really, um, say for instance, stopped chokeholds. Like the the actual policies that need to change, and the training, and the and the um, the money that uh, goes to the police departments that could, could could be used in other ways. Those things, by and large, have not changed. Yeah. And so, and- offering symbols as a solution versus actually listening to what Black people are asking for and getting that work, getting that done. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating because a lot of times, you know, I, I see what we get is kind of sympathy. And, you know, I, I, I understand what you're going through is really rough. And it's like, OK, yeah, but let's actually talk about solving this and getting to the brass tacks. And a lot of times I see some white progressives just enjoying the sympathizing process <laughs> right because you because i think a lot of us uh, as a progressive myself a lot of us as if we take on the emotional weight somehow then we're doing some sort of work for uh with and uh, you know black folks uh and that's just not true mm. and so um it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to hear because <laughs> and this is the it's the idea that you criticize because you love Right, we're, mm-hmm. we're I, I, we need to we need to make changes in in the, both left and right parties. I, I have a deep connection to Republicans because that's how I was raised, uh, and that's what I grew up to believe and understand. And I and, and I was uh, and I moved to to the left as I grew grew older, and I have a love for both sides. And uh, when I when I criticize either side, it's because I I can see them becoming better and actually doing what they what they want to do right conservatives i think the idea at least that i was raised with was it was it was an individualist one right that you are empowered you have we live in a country full of liberty and that liberty empowers you to do what you anything that you want to do yeah and i don't want to get any government uh, any any uh, oversight that would hold you back from that now that's a good ideal uh, on the left, and the left is, hey, look, we have to take care of some social situations. We as a group have to take care of society. Another great ideal. Now, there are other ideals, okay, but those to me are the two like sort of core principles of either side. And neither side, you know, has by and large has done that and often fought against those purposes, right? 
right. when conservatives don't speak about race or say that race is not an issue <laughs> or or left you know, left left side folks do well uh, oh you, you know this whole thing about what this sort of like this, this lady did right was i can't even speak about black things because i'm white so i'm going to get a black person to do it for me to not see the inherent racism in that exactly <laughs> um is is really disheartening <laughs> like I mean, it's funny too. I mean, it's funny too. Cause I, I, I think I probably thought that way before too, cause we're all trying to figure out how to do this. Right. And I think, and I think what we need to do is, is listen to one another and listen to one another's experiences. Right. Like, yeah. like what we talked about. It's just empathizing. It's just connecting and listening. And of course, you know, as a individual statement, this is everyone has different opinions. And so there isn't a monolithic black ideology other than maybe collectivism which is is widespread um but of course they're not it doesn't it's still going to be people who are black that are individualists and so um that's the same thing when you're talking to people you're going to get different ideas from different people and so race should not matter when we're talking about who's talking to who that that blew my mind that that was told to me and um and of course then i was called a sea lion and a uh, Trump supporter. I was called a cop and a, a Hitler, a fan of Hitler. It was, it was all very interesting conversation, but um, it's, it's just funny how far from the truth it was. And it's, what's really strange is now that I know about individualism, it's really hard for me to only speak collective because now I know about both. And so right. what has happened is my speech has naturally changed and I find myself unable to um, with consistency speak as, as I used to, like, once you know something, you know it. And so kind of like you were saying with, you're unable to be your authentic self. My authentic self is like molding and changing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost weird. Cause now I'm in situations where my normal authentic self would be accepted by people. And now I'm, you know, the bane of their existence. Like, wow, that was so subtle. It was so easy to step into this path. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the thing too, I mean, I feel, I feel on the, on the polar opposite of that coming into collectivism. When I started to understand more about collectivism, that's when I started bumping up against my individualist influences, right. And got the same kind of treatment, Yeah. you know, that you, oh, well, you're just now a leftist snowflake or, or whatever, commie or whatever, yeah. <laughs> socialist or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, man, it's, it's uh, being, being your authentic self means that you grow and change. It doesn't mean that necessarily that you are always the same. Right. And, and we have to be able to, to accept that. And, and I mean, that speaks to what an imperfect ally is anyway, right. Is, is someone that is, is may wake up to, to some facts about how they're, whether how they're thinking or their behavior or their attitude or actions uh, may change. And right. if we present that to the groups that we were in, like for me, Christianity is a great example of this. Um, as long as I said what was being preached about, there were no problems. But as soon as, as I got, as I grow, grew and I started to understand more and started to say different things, that's when the like pushing pushing me out of that space began right mm, wow because we can't um and i have a pretty 
I have a pretty unique history with, uh, hopefully unique history with, with Christian, with the Christian church. But, um, but like that, you know what I'm saying? Like that idea, like, oh, well you, you have to say exactly what we're saying or you can't be accepted. Yeah, definitely. No, one of my buddies, um, very conservative. And that's definitely why we're friends is because I need to hear, I need to have close relationships with people who think differently from me. And what he said to me was most people, or he, he first said, it sounds like Chris, you talk to people to hear them. Most people talk to you to hear themselves out of your mouth. <laughs> it's like, Oh, wow. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely felt that. Oh, for sure. Lots of places <laughs> in business and church. I mean, in politics, social media. And that could even, be a go well, even comedy. I would say even comedy. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen that too. Um, there are, there are just lines and stuff that you don't cross. And I'm not talking about being like shock, jock, gross, whatever. I'm just talking about like, there are just some things that you can't, you can't get into. You can't get into in, in certain, certain stages. Yeah. And, and that kind of, for me, from, for my understanding of comedy, from that authentic point of view from black culture is, why would I be on a comedy stage that limits how authentic and real I can be when life is real? <laughs> like I'm up here poking fun at life. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, I think the getting to the heart of that, like, so, so often, like, so I played in theaters that were, um, they label themselves as safe spaces and theaters that label themselves, you know, anti-safe space <laughs> you know kind of like you know we don't do that you know soft shit here or whatever but yeah um and i think that i mean i think that there needs to be we 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 need to be able to have um creative spaces that people feel safe especially if it's their job like that's a huge part of comedy right now is like a lot of people are like all this crazy stuff's happened to me men and women stuff or race stuff that's happened to me or sexuality stuff that's happened. And uh, I think that needs to be solved in some way, find a way to solve that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, at the same time, uh, there has to be a place for really free expression. And not that you say things and don't suffer the consequences of them. Exactly. At the same time to limit that in some way, I think is, can be damaging. If, if we can't, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. If we can't talk about it at all, if I can't act like an idiot on stage, not that I do, but if I, <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Like if I, if I, if so-and-so can't get up on stage and say some racist, racist stuff and suffer the consequences of that racist racism and not, you know, learn from it, uh, learn from it, then we're not, we're not going to change at the same time. I want people that feel, you know, fear that they're going to get, um, you know, they don't feel comfortable, like, um, folks that have marginalized folks, trans folks, uh, gay and lesbian people, uh, to some extent, you know, whatever, whatever group, whatever population it is that's, Mm -hmm. that's that's been marginalized. I want them to have a place where they can get up and express themselves completely. Yeah. So there, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how to do it, but other than, other than to say like, you can't talk about these particular things. So that's, to me, that's more important. So in my spaces, I've said like, white people you can't act like black people on stage sorry mm-hmm. um because it causes too many issues at the same time <laughs> so let I'm, me uh, yeah l- go ahead l- let me pop into something we discussed in a previous 
episode was yeah. conflict resolution. Um, and the the lacking of that reduces your ability to have tough, uncomfortable conversations. And so mm-hmm. it is better to just not have them because if you don't have that skill, you're not going to be able to handle it. But for those of you who aren't comedians, I can guarantee you if you are on stage saying hate speech with no um, no foundation to a joke, a joke has parts. Once you get into the skill form, once you get into the art form of telling jokes, you'll understand that. And without a clear, uh, honest connection to the audience, those jokes will not work. There is no such thing as a comedian saying hateful things just to be hateful and the audience laughing. That That is in um, eighth grade classrooms. <laughs> that is... <laughs> That only exists in teenage boys hanging out or maybe playing games online. But as as an actual art form, there is no space like that. And um, I think a lot of times people fear that talking about something manifests all these bad actors when in reality it's the communication about it that formulates a perfectly social way to have the discussion and give people the opportunity to learn and express themselves at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that, you know, I don't want to hear a bunch of anti anything, um, other than maybe anti white supremacy, like, <laughs> yeah, but you know I mean? Like, um, at the same time, if, if somebody's going to get up there and try to do jokes about that stuff in a way that, you know, punches down or, or tries to make fun of those groups, like, well, how do we let the consequences of that happen? I mean, how do, you know, I mean, they're going to bomb on stage. It's going to be painful because you have to take care of the audience. And any comedian that consistently bombs on stage without learning, hopefully we get them medical help because they're missing something like there's something they're missing. I don't know if you've seen the the Joker, the movie, but that's probably a, (laughs) a good understanding of what would happen for a really bad comedian if they if they don't understand they have to take care of the audience. And, um, and so that's oh, the first yeah, that, thing that movie. Yeah. I couldn't watch, I couldn't finish it, man. Cause it was just like, Ooh. Oh, this is just, this is, I mean, not all, but I have seen open micers over and over. Like, I know like this is, <laughs> I can't do it. Yes. You know, as an open micer myself, like I, I, I don't know, maybe somebody could say that I'm not progressing. I feel like I am, but there are people that have been doing it for years that they just have not made any progress and you're like oh no and 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 hearing their jokes you know people are like oh yeah he's been telling that joke for three years mm-hmm. has, has it worked for three years and just the kind of desperation of like oh i wrote a joke and i'm just gonna make it work but i don't do anything different to it and it's that crazy. sort of manic craziness anyway <laughs> and, but those would be the only jokes that are 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 that i would say equal non-safe spaces because they aren't taking care of the audience. They aren't even taking care of the comedian saying the joke. <laughs> so um, most com- comic houses, when you see a really talented comedian say something offhand, they mm-hmm. they preface it with why they're in that thought process. They put themselves in the thought process. So they're they're saying that this is something that they're experiencing. And then they laugh about it because they're laughing at themselves, experience the problem. They're not laughing at someone. Um, and I, I think Dave Chappelle, I think Dave Chappelle is a master of this. Right. And he talks about dangerous or um, off putting conversations, but he always brings himself into how 
he makes um, a snafu of a situation and how he has people that hate him because he finds the reality of the situation funny. Not that someone is struggling. He just says, you know, there are things that he finds funny and he knows that those things aren't easy to laugh at. And that's what's funny to him is how messed up he is at laughing at these things. And the audience understands he's an imperfect person. So they're laughing at Dave Chappelle. They're not laughing at anyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think that, um, in the middle of that, he, he has said hurtful things, right? The people here and they're like, oh man, that's offensive and, or maybe just painful to hear. Yeah. You know? And, um, as we all have said painful things, and I think that the response to something painful is to reach out and say that was painful to me to hear. And, and he addressed that in one of his, one of his specials. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody just just said, hey, that it wasn't like, oh, we're going to cancel him. It was, hey, I love you. And that really hurt me. And he, it's, you know, it's changed his mind about some stuff. And he and, comes back. He comes back and talks about it and talks mm-hmm. about that journey. And that's why yeah. I think communication is the most important piece, because other people can watch Dave and learn from his journey. You can watch right. Kevin Hart learn from his mistakes. Right. That is what we need. We don't need no one making mistakes. That that doesn't actually refine anybody. If you know how to be successful at anything, it takes a mistake. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, and that fail well, so that failure, I mean, that is he a better person because he said something that hurt someone and now he's rethinking some, uh, how he's thought about, you know, say trans folks, for instance, uh, tr- treating, treating them differently or saying different things that are, that are maybe less hurtful or, you know what I mean? Like changing what he's done or is he better now that he said that and suffer the consequences of that and the consequences being that he hurt people. Um, and then got a response, you know, and then got a, an, a plea to like, Hey, this is, this is painful. Or is it, would he have been better if, if, um, you just don't talk about trans people on stage? Oh, uh, well, you know, I mean, and <laughs> that's, that's a tough question because like, how many how many people are are discussing the current situation that we are in in our country and that we have cultural changes and and that's hard for people so we should be talking this through so he's not the only one learning from it and um and he's also allowed to be his authentic self which is so important and that's really how we started this conversation is if we are always manicured and never real then we are cheating ourselves from learning we are cheating ourselves from being authentic and mm-hmm. if we are always saying, oh, I'm offended by your authentic self, like that's that's in a way removing the freedom to that person to just be them. And yep. that's one thing that we don't want to be doing. Like I, I get um, freedom can seem very scary if it's freedom to do anything and everything. I, I understand that some people see that as a slippery slope, but having someone feel uh, safe to be them versus. um telling someone not to ever express their inner thoughts. Those are, those are dangerous. You have to be able to express yourself, both your thoughts and who you are and how you identify. And so Richie, man, if you black man, let, Hey, be black, be you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, I'm gonna let it out. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation, man. I love it. Every time this, I just, I I need this. Me too. <laughs> we were a little late this week and, and, uh, uh, it's been kind of crazy here at the Lunsford household and 
man, I do need it. I do need it too. And y'all do too. So listeners, please talk to each other and talk to people that look different than you. Talk to people that uh, are different in any other way, maybe different sexuality, different gender, different presentation, different, whatever it is. Don't just talk to people that are just like you really talk with people that are different. And you'll find that, I mean, we're finding what we just need each other. Yeah. <laughs> I need, and, I, I need Chris's perspective. He needs mine. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk for you, but. Oh no, I do. And what's really cool about it is when you talk to people who are completely different than you, but you connect with something that they say, you start realizing that there's a lot of you that you haven't explored yet. And that's the coolest part is sure. you get a deeper understanding of yourself. For sure. For sure. All right, man. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, please, if you can support our Patreon page, uh, we have several tiers and we've got early episodes that are out. Uh, we've got some monthly Q and A's. You get access to our candid conversations, get, you know, just get more involved and, uh, uh talk to us about it. You know, we've got uh, Imperfect Allies Learning Together's Facebook group uh, that you're welcome to join. And, and we're trying to build a space where everybody can talk, even people that disagree with each other. And I think that's the coolest part is there's not a lot of places like that. Every, a lot of the groups I'm in really want a consistent voice from everyone, which is not reality. And so come talk to us, come be with us. Find us on social media and Twitter at Allies Imperfect and just keep the conversation going. We're so thankful for y'all listening. Whatever podcast app you use, please like, subscribe, give us five stars, please. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. All black everything. Black cards, black cards, all black everything. And I girls a black purse. Riding with they tillages. I can't more in depth if you boys really rid enough.